What's the show called again? Friends Till the End. Hello everyone and welcome to Friends to the End, your helpful episode by episode guide to friends where we sit down, watch episodes of Friends every week, drink too much and, and generally wish that we had friends as good as the the Central Perk gang. I'll say. I'm your host Michael Clancy, I am joined once again with my occasional drinking buddy Elizabeth Lovely. Hi Elizabeth. Hello. How are you doing this week? I am well, thank you. We have just finished watching Episode 3 of Season 1, entitled The One with the Thumb, originally aired in October 4th, 1994, to 19.5 million viewers, Elizabeth. Wow. Simpler times back then in the old early mid-90s. Only, I mean, I wasn't in America at the time, but I think, what, you had about three networks to choose from, so I suppose (laughs) the, the country was divided up. It was just... This and the same episode of Sesame Street showing over and over again. Is that, is that about right? Oh, that sounds about right. It's only the third episode, so that's pretty impressive. It's not bad, although it's a dip. I think they're, they're down from 20 million from the first two episodes. Mm. So the cracks are already starting to show. I wonder <laughs> if this uh, this plucky show about six lovable underdogs will, will make it. Well, seeing as how I'm the only person that's alive that has never watched the show from start to finish, I'd say that it has quite a good following. Yeah, we'll see. Right, well, I know you're tired, so we best crack on so you can get to Betty Buys. Um, <laughs> we begin with the... Tip- <laughs> I don't know why you needed to say that. <laughs> we begin with the uh, typical... What's becoming the typical uh, pre-credit banter between the gang in Central Perk, where they're just sitting around drinking cups of coffee all day, not going to work. And... Um, you know, I think they've talked about dating and, and things like that in the past. This this week they're talking about, like, the lies that you tell to avoid having to go out on another date with anybody. I mean, that's are, are you enjoying this kind of ritual that they have of this banter? You know, this is really... This is where the, the meat of the show is being established, them being great friends, just sitting around talking about all these irrelevant things. Yeah, because it seems really natural. It seems like this is what 20-somethings, apparently, would sit around and talk about, you know? Oh, it's not me, it's you. These lines that they've probably all heard a few times that ring true and, you know, just shooting the shit, pretty much. And um, didn't they talk about the length of a man's penis? Well, that that carries on into it, yes. Uh, that's after the after the opening credits. They they do the old you know, tip of your, uh, end of your thumb to the, the tip of your index finger. That's... They, they don't come right out and say what they're referring to. And obviously, when I watched it for the first time as an impressionable 11-year-old, I had no idea what they were talking about. People can't see, but she's actually um, <laughs> trying to figure out what size her penis would be right now with the, the tips of her thumb and finger. It's pretty good. Seems about right. Yeah. Quite happy with that. Yeah. Oh, jolly good. So, that yeah, that that's the, the opening credits sting. While we're, while we're on the subject... Uh, let's let's talk about the opening credits because it's one of the most oh. iconic. Well, you have your problems and we'll, with the opening credits, and we'll get into that. But it is one of the most iconic theme songs uh, of any sitcom, certainly. The Rembrandts, "I'll Be There for You," is. What do you think of it? Does it work for you? Yeah, I think it's cute. I think it's a good message, and it's very catchy. Mm-hmm. I remember in college, I had a roommate who had the song on her iPod iPod, I guess, and she'd play in the bathroom, and sometimes she'd leave it there, and I'd play it, just music, taking a shower, and that song came on, and of course I hadn't seen Friends and didn't know what it was, but I really liked it. I was mm-hmm. like, this is so nice, it's happy. I think, and and this is this stands for the different times that we watched it, but I I didn't realize that it could potentially be a whole song, 
And I remember I went to, to visit like an older cousin of mine who had like the single on cassette tape. And this is where we, we differ in ages because obviously I'm, I'm 20 years older than you. But um, yeah, she had the cassette tape of the whole song. I was like, oh my God, there's a, there's a second verse. And I, yeah, I played it over and over again, basically, and made a copy of the tape because you could do those things back in those days. And yeah, I thought I was the coolest kid in the world. Yet again, because I was an 11-year-old watching Friends. Now, what does the second verse have to say? Um, there's something about you're still in bed at 10, you work again at 8, and then there's a line about earning your breakfast so far, and things are going great. I mean, that can't apply to them, because none of them seem to have jobs. It's not strong. Well, that that was a point that you made midway through, actually. We kind of watched this episode in silence uh, during our diligent note-taking, but you kind of broke your silence at one point where you were just, where you proclaimed quite upset, do any of them have jobs? Uh, it was a Monday. A Monday. <laughs> was it? Did they establish it yes, was a Monday? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. They even said, well, it's Monday, so never. It was something Monica okay. said. Okay. They're all sitting there, all of them. And then you see Monica go to her job later. Well, Rachel's at least. Well, yeah, of course, besides Rachel. But, you know, you see Monica go to her job later on in the day, so maybe she has a, a night shift or whatever at the restaurant. But it's just a, a Monday, midday, unless it's 6 a.m. when it first opens and they're all just bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and going down there together instead of just being in their apartment. I don't know. It seems a little suspicious. Yeah, I feel like typical New Yorkers, professional New Yorkers, are waking up with a stinking hangover, having probably, like, done several lines of Ching the night before at a late-night bar until four in the morning, and now they're rolling out of bed all bleary-eyed, barely able to string a sentence together just so that they can get a cup of coffee and go back to work trading on the stock market. That's that's how I see New York, anyway. Perhaps that's an unfair depiction of it. I'd say that's quite an overgeneralization there. <laughs> all right, fair enough. <laughs> so, yeah, they don't have jobs. They sit around um, drinking coffee. But these, I believe it or not, are not the main the main plots of the, the story this week. Again, no. it's a, a three-pronged attack. We get three three of our individual Central Perk gang um, with their own individual stories this week. Um, well, lo and behold, we, we get a Phoebe storyline. I, I never saw that coming. It's, uh, she gets the heavy, heavy storyline that every big series has to tackle. Her bank has given her too much money. Oh, no. That very relatable storyline. Yeah, but... I get what you're saying. Your sarcasm is wonderful. But she's a very honest human. <laughs> oh, bless her. No, even she says, you know, it's it's karma or it's karmic debt, I think, is something. The line she said. And it's true. She gets $500 in her bank statement that was not her money. So she doesn't think that's right. Let's the bank know. And they end up crediting her another $500 and giving her a football phone. Mm-hmm. I mean... Look, I, I know I'm being a little bit sarcastic, but, you know, when compared to, you know, Ross, whose wife is a lesbian, has left him, and Rachel, who has left her husband at the altar, fiancé at the altar, you, you know, it's not exactly, there's not a whole bunch of potential for, like, a series-long arc with this storyline. It feels like you're you're just kind of throwing this to her, you're throwing her a bone just to kind of give her a little little something to do. I guess. It seems unfair, but she really hasn't had... Much, yeah, so maybe this is the introduction to more of her character and that she's the only one of the group that would give money back, that wouldn't feel right about having something that wasn't hers well, that's that she true. didn't earn. She, yeah, I mean, she's the only good person. Well, I wouldn't say she's the only good person, but 
we're being introduced to her as the only one so far because they all made a stink about you keep you keep the money <laughs> you know she's the only one that really would would think about someone else which is shown by her giving the $500 the other $500 in the football phone to a homeless woman who she seems to know on a first name basis Lizzie Lizzie played by a terrific character actress Beth Grant who who, who people will know from she's in everything probably mm. most famously perhaps um donnie darko so this is years before her oh. commitment to sparkle motion um she's hit some tough times and she's living rough there on the streets well regardless it, you know it is nice to see phoebe with a, a, a storyline certainly but it's not like a, a big heavy hitter it's not as if it could have you know serious ramifications or serious like health ramifications unlike one of her other storylines Oh my god, like lifted from ever like lifted straight from an episode of Saved by the Bell. <laughs> this this grown man Chandler, he's smoking cigarettes, Elizabeth. After three years. Oh, he was doing so well. Three years sober. I mean, if ever, you know, we've talked about the nineties fashion and the nineties haircuts, but if ever there was a glimpse into the glorious paradise that was the nineteen nineties, uh smoking indoors, smoking in public places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. God. I remember that. I remember that too. Yeah, you know, you go into a restaurant, you have smoking or non-smoking sections. And I remember mm-hmm. my parents always saying, non-smoking. It was not even a choice, non-smoking. Not even a choice. Oh, no. You see, I, I mean, you're you're very vehemently um, against smoking. I, you know, I, I grew up with smoking. I, I've never smoked myself. I had a lot of friends that were smokers. I lived with five smokers at one point. We used to go to the pub. It was funny, we were in university when in Scotland they instigated the smoking ban. And, you know, it used to be, you know, we would everyone would sit around the table having a cigarette, having their pint. And then overnight, the cigarette ban came into place and, you know, the table would clear as everyone was like, yep, yeah, let's go for a cigarette. Off mm. we go. And then I would be left with just a, a table of drinks sat around me looking like the sad, pathetic alcoholic with no friends at the <laughs> table. So, yeah, what a glorious, what a glorious time for a smoker to be alive in New York City for Chandler. And he mm. takes he takes full advantage of it. But his his pals, the, the the Central Perk gang, they're they're not happy. No, 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 they think it's gross. They're they're ashamed because he did well for three years, kicked the habit, and he took one puff and got addicted again. And I think they were kind of disappointed in him since he had done so well. Oh, are you not a little bit put off by their? bloody holier than thou Ooh, how can you smoke how can you do that to your body it's just I, I, I'm with you're Chandler. asking me personally because I think that I mean I think obviously it's addictive but you know the, the healthy ramifications are serious uh, nah I'm with Chandler with all the way in this episode what you get an insight into his life and into his work life you see him in that tiny little cubicle that's about to crush his spirit as well as crush his bones into the ever ever decreasing size of that cubicle space mm. he's got this soul crushing job that he hates he's got this one re- he's got no girlfriend he lives with this greasy greasy Italian <laughs> cliche and he's got one little glimmer of hope this little glimmer at the end of a cigarette stick that he's sucking out. You know, it's wow. an extension of his body that's been missing him. He gives a wonderful monologue at the beginning about how it's an, a part of yourself. And and his friends, just, just rather than supporting him, rather than being friends, rather than being there for him, Elizabeth, they're, they're, they're giving him all kinds of shit, making him feel bad. It's a part of him, Michael, because he is an addict. And 
when you have an addiction, you can't separate yourself from the thing that you were addicted to. Mm. Therapized. All right. You, you you take your your hat off there, Freud, and you sit back down. <laughs> it does lead to a, a a pretty fun scene where Chandler does like call them out on their their hypocrisy, basically, where um, they're all in Central Park, and he's like, "Oh, this is just a flaw that I have. Do you hear me? You know, giving Joey crap for grinding his knuckles, or for Phoebe for chewing her hair, or for Ross being a." pedantic fuckwit no he he doesn't and then that leads to a bit of bickering between the group yeah it drives a wedge and uh everyone was angry right away and i can i can understand why and i thought they were going to take it further in this episode but they didn't they all just kind of were like okay eh, we all have flaws you know i thought they'd actually keep the anger for the rest of the episode until it you know magically resolved at the end mm. well I, again I, and you know i i don't want to spoil too much and we're certainly not going to spoil big things about you but the the sort of friends getting angry with each other and throwing each other under the bus that is a trope that is returned to many many a times throughout the series so that's it and in ever increasing ludicrousness as we go on so oh. this was just kind of a precursor you're going to see a lot more of that coming forward oh no i hope phoebe's not involved uh well i can't remember but we'll, we'll get to that <laughs> so that's two of the three of our storylines uh, so far, but there is a, a third friend that gets a bit of a storyline, and it's old, it's old unlucky in love, Monica. Unlucky in love, she's Monica. got a boyfriend. Yeah, Alan. Alan, and this this is going to lead us to what is going to be a recurring segment, I think, in this show. Whenever one of the friends gang has a date or has a has a recurring love interest, it's a simple section that I would like to call "Would you?" So, Elizabeth, seeing as um uh, as the heterosexual female, I'm I'm going to put it to you, Alan. Would you? He's a, he's for for people that haven't seen it in a while. He's he's a he's a tall uh, mountain of a man. Uh, apparently, the distance between his thumb and forefinger is pretty reasonable. He's got a, a strong jaw with an equally strong beard. Maybe the beginning hint of a, a Fraser Crane receding hairline, perhaps. But oh, no. but but good banter anyway. Good banter, and that's one of the big things in the episode is he kind of wins over all the friends gang who, who who don't normally like Monica's boyfriends. They normally find a flaw, but he makes a joke about one of Monica's exes and kind of wins them over from the get-go. Mm-hmm. But did he win you over, Elizabeth? Would you, Alan? No. No? No. But he's so great! Would you? Michael, would you? No. Alan? No, I wouldn't. I have to say, and there will, and that's not just a straight up, you know, straight guy talking. I think there will be examples. In fact, before the end of episode two or three, there's definitely going to be an example of a of a would you for Monica's boyfriends that I absolutely would. But we'll we'll get to that oh, in all good boy. time. But uh, no, I wouldn't. It's it was very much a case of you know we spent the whole episode hearing about how mm. great Alan was, but we never got to see it for ourselves so much. So perhaps mm-hmm. if we'd seen a little bit more of that Alan charm. We, maybe I would have fallen for him a little bit harder. Sure, but the charm really didn't rub off on Monica, did it? Well, that's kind of the big thing, yes. A, in a, a big ironic twist, you know, finally Monica has a boyfriend that all of the gang like and can get behind, but Monica's just not feeling it herself. No, she's not. Yeah. And she goes as to goes so far as to break up with him, which really was more of a breakup for the gang because, you know, Alan took it well enough but the gang man they were heartbroken they were <laughs> devastated yeah, they were and that, and yeah they, they do play it off quite nicely you know they, she kind of sets up the scene where she breaks the news to them 
and she's breaking up with Alan as a as a breakup scene with them, and they kind of react accordingly, you know, kind of throwing up a lot of the things that they talked about in the in the pre credit sting, mm-hmm. and then in in a further twist, you know, when it gets to the scene where she breaks up with Alan, he's okay with it, you know, he's upset, you know, he, he's very fond of Monica, but what what's what's the big button that they they go out with on the episode, Elizabeth? What's what's the big joke to send us all away, chuckling into our Friday nights? Well, it turns out. Alan does not like the friends. Oh, God. He doesn't like Monica's friends, even though he was helpful uh, with Chandler Mm -hmm. and helping him, giving him words of encouragement for him to stop smoking, Mm -hmm. just like that, over the phone. But God, apparently, he didn't like them. And that's the fun part. I mean, this episode, I think more than the others, you know, we we talked about how they had separate storylines in the last episode as well, but they they really do a good job of tying the three plot threads together. Obviously, you have Rachel, Ross, and Joey not doing a whole lot this episode, but they're always there providing commentary for each of the storylines. But yeah, yeah, there's a nice little crossover towards the end as Alan gets on the phone with Chandler and manages to convince him to give up the cigarettes. So there's a little intersection with that. Mm -hmm. Um... And then it also plays into Phoebe's storyline because Phoebe, uh, as we mentioned, you know, she she gives away the thousand dollars that her bank has given her to the homeless lady, who in return is like, oh, I got to buy, I got to do something for you. I'll buy you a soda. So she buys Phoebe a soda, and uh, and and this is where the episode gets its name. But what, what's yes, because inside her soda can, a thumb. A thumb. A thumb. Now, is this a common thing in your American sodas to to find uh, body appendages floating in 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 your cans? I'm pretty sure it's just within fast food chicken. Oh, really? Things like that. Uh, so, sort of. I mean, this is again a very '90s show. It's probably more of a '90s thing. But you, you know, you were just four years old, so you probably probably weren't allowed to drink soda then at that point so you probably don't remember it so well but at any rate Phoebe gets a a settlement from the soda company $7,000 $7,000 seems a little a little cheap on the soda company part I mean she she didn't want any to begin with though she probably would have just been keeping it for a good story to tell at a party she probably could have got more if she'd uh, driven a hard bargain but she's not the type of person to don't you know she's so great listen the dark side of phoebe will come out sooner or later and it's gonna hit you hard yeah but at any rate i mean and and so phoebe has the seven thousand dollars and that's kind of the joke from a five hundred dollar clerical error she's now all of a sudden up seven thousand dollars and there's a bit (laughs) of a there's kind of a tragic element of that where she keeps on trying to get rid of this money and it keeps on coming back to her and that's kind of the... It's karma. It's karma, yes. It's karma. She keeps doing the the right thing and mm-hmm. she keeps on being rewarded for it. And then that's drawn nicely into um, Chandler's storyline is again, in a moment of weakness, he cracks and he wants a cigarette and he's going to have a cigarette and Phoebe, in, you know, being the, the good Samaritan that she is, says, if you never smoke again, I'll give you $7,000. And so Chandler is the ultimate winner of the episode. Oh, he obliges very quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I would too, to be fair. Yeah, Phoebe didn't need the money. She didn't want it. It, it didn't mm-hmm. feel right to her. It didn't feel natural. Mm-hmm. I just love that woman. As an 11-year-old, I could really relate to this storyline, because, um, particularly that part at the end, because um, growing up as a, as a kid in Scotland in the, in the 90s where, you know, Kids, kids are being lured into to cigarettes and alcohol at quite a young age. I, my father um, gave all of, gave myself and um, my brothers and sisters the the, the pretty attractive um, deal that if we could make it to twenty one without smoking, he would give us all a thousand pounds. And and well, I 
I certainly earned it. And I know, um, I, th- I think another one of my sisters did as well. But did so you yeah, lie? I can relate to that. No, I didn't lie. I never had a cigarette. Good for you. Yeah, yeah good for me, right? A thousand pounds. Yeah, right. Easy. Wow. I mean, the joke's on him. I would have done it for free. Like I was, <laughs> it wasn't the thousand pounds that kept me from smoking. <laughs> but yeah, money incentives. Don't don't smoke cigarettes. That's mm-hmm. the way to do it. So that brought it all nicely together. Yes, I feel like the gang are still mourning the loss of Alan. But I imagine Monica, as beautiful and charismatic as she is, will have another very soon. Another guy she's in her life. She's too nitpicky, though. You think? Yeah, she's too anal. We talked about this. Yeah, no, but even about her men? Yeah, well, yeah. we'll see. It's Yeah, she's not going to live happily ever after by the end of the first season anyway. No spoilers, Michael. Oh, no spoilers, certainly. Um, so yeah, that's that was pretty much the episode. A couple of extra notes. Uh, Gunther Watch, he's he's lurking there in the background. You know, I I know it means nothing to you right now, but, Gunther but Watch. you know he's he's gonna pop up. It's not maybe not season one, maybe not season two, oh. but he's gonna get a line or two, and it's gonna blow your mind. <laughs> also in this episode, no no um, Ross or Rachel progression. No that that storyline very much left alone. No no mm. real kind of. Neither of them had their own storylines, but there was also no kind of like moment where they were, you know, trying to perhaps hint at a, a future relationship between those two. Do you yeah. think? Do you think um, the episode benefited from that? I didn't miss it. You know, I wasn't looking for it, and I didn't mm-hmm. miss it. But that could also be because I don't really see them together. No, no. still not convinced by that. No, and so I was just excited that you know Phoebe really got more lines in this episode. <laughs> But no, I, I liked it. I thought it, this episode kind of sucked me in a bit more. Mm. Um, so I didn't miss it. I wasn't looking for it, no. And it just kind of leaves our, our odd man out. Poor, poor Joey is mm. the only guy so far that doesn't re- hasn't really had a, his own storyline arc or any kind of yeah. character development outside of he's Italian. And, and an actor. He kind of likes food and he's got a bit of an eye for the ladies. But none of this has really been fully mm. developed yet. Right. Uh, Hopefully, hopefully. Maybe next episode. Maybe. Maybe the next episode, which leads us on nicely to the next episode, episode four, which is going to be the next one that we're covering. It's the one with George Stephanopoulos. Stephanopoulos. That sounds very Greek? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's a a Greek name, certainly. And that will be the episode. What's that going to be? Wow. Good good question. I don't don't know if that's a a, a forgotten member of the, the Friends gang or if it's a... A, a random 1994 New York celebrity, which dates the episode very poorly because nobody remembers who he is now. But uh, all those questions and more will be answered in our next episode. But I think for the time being, oh, apart from uh, before we go, um, you did also point out that a, a black person got a line of a dialogue in this episode. Which... More than more than one, even the mm-hmm. uh, the other chef. In Monica's, mm-hmm. where Monica works. It's yeah. no longer Audrey from uh, from Ellen DeGeneres' sitcom. It's now a, a black woman, and she got a line. And um, as we go forward, I think it would be quite fun, you know, seeing as we're, we're pretty drunk when we do these anyway, that we should develop <laughs> some sort of friends drinking game. And I think uh, as we Ooh. do that... Um, Whenever a black person gets a line of dialogue, I think should be grounds for for finishing your drink because it's not something that gets better even as we progress oh. into the twenty first century. Well, they do introduce a couple of characters in the in the later seasons, but um, I'm excited really for the would you? Yeah, theme. it's going to be fun. Tune in for that one as well, everyone. 
that's going to do it for this week. Yeah, we can have a little clink. We'll clink our coffee mugs together as we have our, our poorly made coffees in honor of Rachel and her shitty waitressing skills. But uh, yeah, we're going to be putting together like a, a Twitter account and an email account and, and things like that. But we, you know, we're, st- we're still in the processes of doing this. You know, for now, it's just about the drinking and the friends and, and all those things. So uh, until next time, when we talk about the one with George Stephanopoulos, uh, I guess we'll say goodbye for now. Goodbye.